Do you ever feel hopeless? Do you ever look around and feel the cause of Christ is failing in the world and things just seem so bad? Do you ever feel like giving up? There's just no hope anymore. Things are too bad. Well, if ever there was a time when you might have felt hopeless, it was like that in the days of the kings. We've arrived in 1 Kings 17. And we're in the days of King Ahab. And in those days, the worship of the idol god Baal was everything. The faithful were few, and the nation was filled with more evil than ever before. In fact, even the wicked city of Jericho had been rebuilt and dedicated with child sacrifice. Harder to think of a darker time. And in all this, the great creator God, the great rescuer, and his word seemingly ignored. It all seemed, to put not too fine a point on it, it all seemed hopeless. Maybe today you are at church today feeling hopeless. You might be asking, where is there hope in an idol-infected world? Where can hope be found? Well, today in our passage, we see in Israel how hope arrives in a person, in a prophet called Elijah. And as we look at him and as we see how hope arrives for Israel in him, we'll get to see how hope arrives for us. We meet Elijah in our passage in verse 1. Look with me there. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, spoke or said to Ahab, here's Elijah, and he appears out of the blue in the court of King Ahab. It's all pretty abrupt, isn't it? There's not much by way of background. You don't get a story about his calling. All we get is uh, his name and his, well, I guess his place of birth, his hometown. He's from Tishbe. You might as well have said he's from Shalfleet. Uh, he's from, you know, pretty much nowhere. But we do get his name. And names in the Bible are important. The name Elijah means the Lord is my God. Here is a world in darkness. It's a dark time. And here's a man whose name stands for the Lord is my God. As all around the world is declaring Baal is God, Elijah says, no, the Lord is my God. Here's a man who's going to stand up against idolatry. He's going to stand against it. Here's his hope arriving. And look at his behavior. He stands before the king and he speaks. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, I shall speak. There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, can you feel in those verses hope beginning to rise? What do we notice? Elijah declares that the Lord, the Lord his God, is the living God. Elijah stands before the king and says, all other gods are dead. He has found the living God, the one in whom life is really found. Oh, it's a breath of fresh air, isn't it, in this book? Do you feel the breeze? Hopefully you can feel a breeze through the window. Elijah is a breeze, right? And look how he speaks as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand. He's before the king, and why? And for what reason? Because he is living his life standing in the presence of an almighty, holy 
God. We all live our lives, don't we, for an audience. We often spend our time pleasing people, caring about other people's opinions. Well, Elijah says, here I am and I stand before the Lord. All I care about is what the Lord thinks of me. What he sees, what he hears. I will stand before him. He is the only one that counts, the only one that matters. I serve him, not Ahab. I serve him, not the people. I serve him and not Baal. I stand in the presence of God. And that's why I'm here. Feel the breeze. Feel hope beginning to rise. But what does he speak? He speaks a word concerning a drought. He's announcing kind of spectacular, kind of miraculous, freak weather events. He's in the presence of a king announcing freak weather events. Now, is it, is it just me or does that remind you of anything in the Bible? Freak weather events in the presence of a king. It strikes me that seems very similar to Moses, doesn't it? Moses stands before King Pharaoh and announces the plagues of Egypt. And here we have Elijah in the presence of a king announcing a drought. And it makes us wonder, hey, really there is hope. Here, there's another Moses. Uh, 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 Maybe rescue is on the way. And so we wonder, can we now start feeling hopeful? But the trouble is, of course, as we look at it, there are all sorts of questions we have. Elijah here, he appears out of nowhere. And we're not told of his calling. So, you know, I mean, he, he seems to be here of his own initiative. Is he really, if this guy comes out of the book, is he really a prophet? I mean, he looks good, but is the word of the Lord with him? I mean, he's just that guy from Shalfleet, right? And of course, he's made a pretty big claim as well, hasn't he? It's not going to rain until I say so, uh, says Elijah. And of course, it's all well and good saying that in the hot season. But what about in the wet season? And will Elijah be able to make it rain again? We'll, I guess we'll have to wait and see. You know, we haven't had miraculous things like this in the Bible, in fact, since Moses, <laughs> really. And so it's no surprise that we might have a few questions when Elijah turns up and says, hey, hey, freak, freak miraculous events again, <laughs> you know, at the Lord's command, of course. So we've got our questions. Will, will Elijah be able to turn the taps on again? Has hope really arrived Because at this point, the stakes are really high. What's Elijah announced? He's announced a drought. Now, that's really big. Because in the Old Testament, in in the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord promised drought as judgment. The Lord said if the people of God turned away from him, turned away from his plan of rescue to bring them to the promised land and have life, well, then they would face drought. See, Elijah's speaking a word of warning. He's speaking a word of judgment. On the Lord's behalf, the, the Lord better be with him, hadn't he? Don't you think? And a drought, of course, is, is also very significant because it's a particular attack on the idolatry of the land here. Israel under King Ahab had turned to a foreign god called Baal. And Baal was a storm god. He was a god of rain. Do you see what's happening here? As, the Lord, as Elijah declares there's going to be a drought, he's, he's saying uh, the Lord God's in charge of rain. Baal is not. He is a fake. He is a fraud. And you just wait and see. It will rain when he says it ought to rain. It will rain when I says it rains. 
Well, he better be right then, hadn't he? Elijah better be right. The stakes are pretty high. Can Elijah be believed? Is he a real prophet? Is the word of the Lord really with him? And can, can we find hope? Can the nation of Israel find hope in idol-infested times? Well, we'll see that they can. As we see three episodes at the beginning of Elijah's ministry, we're going to see, can there be real hope with Elijah? Well, yes. Elijah really does have the word of the Lord with him. Firstly, Elijah has the word of the Lord with him, and he's sheltered under the wings of the Lord. So look, here's Elijah. And we're kind of thinking, okay, Elijah, there's a drought. Yeah, sure. And we've got to wait for him to turn the rain on again. We might be waiting some time to find out whether he's the real deal or not. What would we hope to see in the meantime if Elijah is for real? Well, I guess we'd hope to see the Lord's faithful prophet, if he's for real, being protected by the Lord. I mean, Moses announced the plagues and Moses kind of needed to survive those, didn't he? (laughs) Elijah here needs to survive the drought. If he's the real deal... We're going to be hoping that the Lord would protect him. Well, look what happens. Elijah announces judgment, and guess what? The word of the Lord is immediately with him. Look, verse 2 and verse 3. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall have drink from the brook, and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Here's Elijah. And he's not acting on his own, is he? The Lord comes to him. The Lord speaks to him. And he says, Elijah, go and hide. And you think, oh, he doesn't seem very good, does he? He's off hiding. That's kind of fair enough. He's announced judgment to an evil king. Elijah has a target on his back. And so the Lord says, go and hide. And here's where I'm going to hide you. In the brook of Cherith or Kerith. And there the Lord says, there will be water. And there I will feed you with, of all creatures, ravens. And there the rain dries up, there, and there as the rain dries up, and as the land dries up, as the dew finishes, Elijah is cocooned in this little valley. He's protected, he's hidden by the Lord and fed by the birds. I think it's fascinating here. When was the last time, it just, I'm just remembering things in the Bible, when was the last time in the Bible we had, again, freak weather events, but someone being hidden and cocooned, and speak of ravens and birds? Noah, isn't it? Is that me? Is this the kind of Noah kind of thing going on here? In other words, the Lord is doing what he always does, sheltering his people, protecting them under his wings. Do you remember how the Lord spoke to the people of God when he rescued them from Moses? And he said, I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, said the Lord, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guides his people. You see, the Lord is at it again. Here with Elijah, the Lord is protecting his prophet. Elijah is for real. God is really at work. Hope can begin to rise. But why does the Lord protect his prophet? He protects his prophet so that he can preserve his people. The people he's called to repentance and trust, the people he's rescued. The Lord does for Elijah what he is always meaning to do for his people. What God does time and time again, he finds his people, he feeds them, he keeps them, he protects them. The Lord protects Elijah and it reminds us of how the Lord means to protect his people. Just as Elijah is sheltered under the wings of the Lord, so today 
God shelters his people under his wings. The Lord's with Elijah. He's doing what he always does. Friends, the world may look dark. The world was dark then, but Elijah was safe. Fed by the birds under their wings. Under the wings, ultimately, of the Lord. Things are not nearly as bad as they seem. The word of the Lord was with Elijah. Protecting Elijah. And so the Lord's plans are still on track. God is with Elijah. And so our hope can begin to rise. And today, as we know something of the Lord's protection, as we know those promises for us, we can know the Lord with us. We can know the Lord's plans are still on track. Well, you say, Ollie, um, okay, yeah, but um, what if this was nothing to do with the Lord? I mean, what, what if Elijah just kind of stumbled onto the Cherith Brook and uh, it was all just a bit lucky, really? And what if there was a kind of raven's nest and he kind of nicked some food from there? Don't imagine that too much, a bit yucky. Um, you know, and what if this was just a bit of luck? And I mean, look, after all, the brook dries up, doesn't it? I mean, is he really protected by the Lord? Well, look, he absolutely is, because the Lord moves Elijah on by his word. He is moved on again. Even at the end of his time in the valley, the word of the Lord is with Elijah to show us, look, point number two, the word of the Lord is with Elijah in a foreign land. The word of the Lord is with Elijah in a foreign land. The word of the Lord is, is with Elijah, even in Sidon. Look at verse 8. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Verse 9. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So Elijah arose and went to Zarephath. Zarephath. Sidon. What's that? What's that all about? Is it me or is, are there times like this in, when you're reading the Bible where you think, oh gosh, I've got no idea what is going on. What is this place? Why is it important? This Bible stuff is too hard. Are you tempted to feel that way when you read the funny names like this? Well, can I encourage you that even here, we can actually understand what this means so long as we've been reading carefully and paying attention. So look just back over the page. Why has Elijah ended up in Sidon? What's important about Sidon? Look back at chapter 16 and verse 31. Why is Sidon significant? Sidon is where Baal comes from, isn't isn't it? Sidon is where Baal comes from. See, here's Elijah. And he's been hidden by the Lord. And Ahab, who worships Baal, has been after him. But Ahab's failed, and Baal has failed. So now the Lord takes Elijah and says, right, we're going to go on the offensive. I'm going to take you now into Baal land and show Baal on his own turf who is God. So the Lord takes Elijah, and he sends him, not to widows anymore, but to a widow. You can imagine Elijah thinking, really? I might have preferred ravens. Uh, Widows were the poorest of the poor. The idea of widows and being provided for do not go together. (laughs) That is just what? Um, And what's more, this is a foreign widow. Elijah might well have been thinking, surely at least I could have been sent to an Israelite widow. 
who would have at, li- at least liked me, maybe. But a foreign widow is, oh, what is going on here? And actually, it's worse than that. Look, look at verse 12, because Elijah arrives, meets the widow and asks for food and water. And what happens? Verse 12. And the widow said, as the Lord your God lives, Elijah, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I might go in, prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. The only food this widow has is her and her son's last mouthful before death. Can you imagine what she must be thinking? Uh, no, 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 thank you, Elijah. Go to the next house. There are no, no more mouths here, please. No, thank you. I've nothing left. You see, it's especially galling. See what Elijah asks her, verse 13, at least how it seems. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you've said. Go and get me some food and water. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for you yourselves. Seems outrageous, doesn't it? Elijah is asking this widow to make him something first of her very last mouthful before death. I think we'll assume she'll tell him where to go. We assume that she won't do it. Why would she? Why would you give away your last mouthful? But Elijah isn't done yet. Look at verse 14. Don't be afraid. Make me some food first. Why? Verse 14. For thus says the Lord. The word of the Lord really is with Elijah, isn't it? For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends the rain upon the earth. What a promise. Bottomless flour, bottomless oil. This widow should be thinking, we're we're saved, we're saved. But notice what she's got to do to get it. She's got to give away pretty much all she's got left on someone else. Would you take that gamble? I suspect widows have been conned for less. But here it is, the word of the Lord. Lose your food, lose your life, and save it. Give the last crumbs away, says the Lord God, and and he'll see to it that you don't just have crumbs, but you have crumpets and pancakes beside every day. But 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 if it's wrong, it's curtains, isn't it? This is the choice before the widow, life and death. This is what faith is, actually, isn't it, by the way? Faith, as it were, is to gamble everything on what God says. Will we stake our lives on God's word? And notice what that means here, by the way. It doesn't mean, oh, yeah, sure, I believe God's word, that word about the bottomless flower. That's not faith, is it? She's got to believe, she's got to, act, she's got to actually give the flower away, hasn't she? She's got to stake her life on the word of God and act it out, live it out. That is a challenge for us, isn't it? Do we have faith like that? That I'd stake my life on what God says in the big things and the small things. Do you say I'll work on my anxiety because really the Lord is in control? I'll stake my life on it. I'll do it. 
Do you say in the workplace, I'll keep to my professional standards. In fact, I'll be, go above and be, I'll be above reproach. I won't be tempted to do that dodgy thing. Because God says honesty and speaking the truth is what is best. And I'll stake my life on that being true. And even if I lose my, my job, I know there's life in him. I'll stake my life on it. It's faith, isn't it? I won't harbour my sin. I will not withhold forgiveness because Jesus says I have forgiveness in him. I won't hold it from others. And I stake my life on it being true. I'll do it, I will. I'll do it. Will we stake everything on God's word? That's just an aside, by the way. (laughs) The widow is called to do that. And remarkably, she does. And from then on until the rain, she has flour and oil to meet her needs, just as God has said. The Lord really is with Elijah in a foreign land. Baal, the one who Israel is trusting for rain, can't give rain. He can't give oil. He can't give flour. He can't give harvest. But the Lord can. And he'll do it on Baal's home territory to show how useless that idol is. Elijah is vindicated again. He is the real deal and there is hope coming. And the hope is there. Why? Because here in this episode, the Lord is doing something that he's always meant to be doing. The Lord meant for Israel to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to love their neighbours. They were supposed to live a holy life such that the other nations would go, wow, your God's true. But as Israel failed to do it, does that stop God's mission? No. Even as darkness comes in, even as wicked King Ahab invites Baal in, what does the Lord do? He sends Elijah and he sends him to the nations, even to Sidon. Elijah is sent past Israel's widow to the Sidonian idolatrous widow. And she believes and she's saved and the word of the Lord is at work. God's plans are still at work. There's hope. There's hope in the Lord, even in dark times. He's still keeping his promises. And you know, we need to do that work for ourselves, don't we? We need to look at our world too, don't we? See, we can look at our world and we can think, the people I mix with are the good moral types, the sensible ones. Um, they should be Christians. Uh, But they they trust in idols. And and it's it's no good, it's hopeless. And and we we could feel like that. But Elijah comes, doesn't he? And the word of the Lord goes not to the people you think God should love, but to the people we think God ought to hate. God ought to hate the people in Baal land, but he doesn't. His word goes out, his plans go out even so. God's mission hasn't failed. It's just carried on in Sidon instead. And while King Ahab hunts for Elijah, Sidon is falling to the one true God through his man, Elijah. Is there hope with Elijah? Yes. Yes, the Lord protects his prophet. Yes, the Lord's plans to reach the nations are still on track. But then we hit a setback. And the last, the last little episode is that we still, in the end, come face to face with death. Will the word of the Lord be with Elijah in the face of death? The widow and her son have escaped death. But it's only temporary. A short time later, the son dies anyway. Will the Lord be with Elijah in the face of of death? We've had this drought, and yeah, Baal's failed to come up with the goods. The Lord has produced oil. 
instead. The Lord's looked good. But death actually still seems to have won, doesn't it? The son's died anyway. It seems like at this point in the story, that the, the ultimate power is death. Death is unstoppable. Death is inevitable. Someone who used to preach to me used to roll this stat out all the time. One out of one people die. The stats are total. Death, at this point in the story, it feels inevitable, unstoppable. It's a reminder here that that in the end, our search for hope must face death directly, mustn't it? Our gods are, whatever you are living for, trusting in, must face death. Baal, idol, whatever it is. The question must be answered, does the thing that we put our hope in bring life? Or does it bring death? Because if our hope isn't with the one who can bring life, well, what have we got? We've got hopelessness and death, haven't we? So look, notice in our passage, the widow's behavior at this point, she gets angry. She said to Elijah, sorry, verse 18. What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. What's she saying? Elijah, you're supposedly a man of God. And yeah, you've preached to me and I've remembered my sin. But in the end, how's it all end, ended up? It's ended up in death anyway, Elijah. You see the point? She's listened to Elijah. She's listened to his preaching. She, she trusted in him when, he's, when he said what the Lord had said. She felt like she was trusting the true gods and she'd abandoned her other gods. But in the end, the Lord seemed like a death bringer to her. It seems like Elijah had led her down a blind alley. He's not proved to be God before inevitable death. He just beckoned death in. Do you feel how high the stakes are now? Something extraordinary needs to happen now because something out of the ordinary is on the line. The Lord's reputation. And Elijah's reputation. You see, this whole time as we've been in this chapter, we've been wondering, is hope real with this prophet? Is there hope with him? And the accusation... Is that the here is that the Lord is a death bringer to this poor widow, and the, but the whole time Elijah's been trying to show that his God, the Lord, is the Lord of life, the Lord who lives. He's been trying to show the precise opposite. So Elijah takes action. Elijah takes the son inside his own room, into the place where the Lord has sheltered him. He gives the boy his place of life. He prays to the Lord. He stretches himself out three times on the boy as if to transfer his life to the other. He prays again, oh Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. We breathe in deeply. Does Elijah's God live? Is the Lord with Elijah in the face of seemingly inevitable death? Death that seems to defeat all other hopes. What do we see here? It cannot defeat the Lord. The Lord is with Elijah. His prayers are answered. Verse 22, we're told that the life of the child came back into the son again. That which had left the child and crossed an uncrossable void had been taken hold of and brought back to life. The Lord had trampled over death and brought that boy to life. Death that seemed to be victorious over everyone else was not victorious over the Lord God. Death was inevitable with the false God. With Baal, Baal couldn't bring rain, he couldn't bring oil, 
He couldn't bring life. Next time we'll see he can't even light a match, by the way. Death beats Baal, but it doesn't beat the Lord. And so the woman declares, last verse of our passage, verse 24. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God's and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. The widow now understands the Lord is God. He, he lives. He is the Lord of life. And that this man, Elijah, isn't just some random tishbite. He speaks the word of truth. Hope has arrived in this prophet. Why? Finally, because Elijah's God could beat death. See, here in this idol-infested world was hope. A man bore testimony to the word of God. And he was protected under the wings of the Lord. The Lord who sheltered his people again and again was doing it again. He took the word to the nations just as the Lord had always been doing. He was doing so again even in those dark days. And hope was found as death itself. The ultimate hope destroyer was itself destroyed. Elijah brought hope. Hope arrived with Elijah even in the darkest days. And Elijah then came to be one of the most famous prophets to have ever lived. Not since the day of Moses had there been such wonders. In fact, Elijah came to be such a figure that the people of God would say, he'll be back. He'll be back. That, oh, Elijah, he, he'll be back. He'll be back. And one day he did come back. He appeared in the wilderness saying, Great is he who comes after me. His sandals I am not worthy to untie. Of course, this is John the Baptist as the great Elijah figure pointing at Jesus. See, in those days, Elijah, uh, hope was found as Elijah appeared. And it is no less true for us today as John the Baptist appears, pointing to Jesus. You see, this passage here, all the way through, is pointing at Jesus. Jesus is the one whom the Lord sheltered under his wings, that he might go to the cross. The Lord Jesus is the one who wants to shelter us under his wings too. He is the one who brought such good news that it was preached to the nations and has been going out to the nations ever since. The Lord Jesus is the one who faced death himself, who takes our place, who stretches himself out on the cross and transfers his life to us. He takes our curse. He dies our death if we trusted him and death is fully and finally defeated. You feel like you live in a hopeless world. Would you see in a hopeless world what Elijah was pointing at? The work of the Lord, and it's true today. Elijah was vindicated and proven that day. The word of the Lord was in him. Well, how much more is the word of Jesus proven as he leaves the tomb empty? See, as you look at the world, see the reign of death and false religion and secular materialism and idolatry of the self. Well, all those idols will have to face the great reckoner, won't they? That one inevitability. But there is one who overcomes it, and in him you'll find hope. There on Calvary's hill, death itself was defeated, and three days later it was exposed for all to see. No matter how dark the days get, 
in the days of Elijah, hope was found. And we can have hope for the very same reason. The same God is our God. And he has come to save. He has defeated death. He has risen. And one day, one day not too very far away, he will throw death itself away. There is hope. Shall we pray? Our loving Heavenly Father, thank you for this reminder that in, in an idol-infested world, in dark days, we can find hope. We can know that you protect your people. We can know that your word goes to the nations. We can know that you have defeated death. And no matter how dark things seem, we can have hope. So, Father, as we reflect and chew over what we've thought about today, we want to pray and we want to ask that we would be, that we'd be like that widow, that we would stake our lives on your very word, that we would say that your word means life, and we wouldn't just intellectually assent to it, but that we would believe it and live it out and do it. Make us like that widow, we pray. In Jesus' strong name. Amen.